Welcome to conference coverage presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Featuring the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Association for Cancer Research's 101st Annual Meeting in Washington, D.C., April 17th through the 21st, 2010. I'm your host, Dr. Markina. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. Nearly 18,000 participants from around the world attended this year's meeting. The conference focused on innovative preclinical science, clinical trial results, and novel approaches and technologies being used in research. One highlight was the results from the Biomarker-Integrated Approaches of Targeted Therapy for Lung Cancer Elimination, or BATTLE, trial. Researchers found that non-small cell lung cancer treatment with currently available drugs based on a patient's tumor biomarkers provides better outcomes than treatment with existing drugs that are not based on biomarkers. This Phase two trial tested 11 biomarkers from four non-small cell lung cancer molecular pathways. 255 participants were randomized to erlotinib, serafinib, vandetinib, or erlotinib plus bexarotene. Researchers found that overall disease control rate at two months was 46%, and median overall survival was nine months. In addition, progression-free survival was about two months, and one-year survival was 39%. The lead author of the study, Dr. Edward Kim of the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, presented data in 2008 that demonstrated no difference with gefitinib versus docetaxel in non-small cell lung cancer patients with KRAS mutations, which raised questions about the effectiveness of KRAS testing in patients with these cancers. But a key finding of the current study was that serafinib was effective for 61% of participants with KRAS mutations. Researchers found that participants with wild-type or all-other KRAS substitutions demonstrated better outcomes than those with mutant KRAS cis amino acid substitution. One author of the study disclosed financial ties to AstraZeneca and Oncotherion Incorporated. An update of the study of tamoxifen and raloxifene, or STAR-P2, trial showed that both raloxifene and tamoxifen remain effective options to prevent breast cancer over the longer term. The study evaluated nearly 20,000 postmenopausal women at higher risk for developing breast cancer, being treated with tamoxifen or raloxifene with median follow-up of 81 months. Researchers found that raloxifene retained 76% of the effectiveness of tamoxifen in preventing invasive disease. In addition, raloxifene came closer to tamoxifen in effectively treating non-invasive disease, with lower endometrial cancer incidence and significantly lower toxicity overall. Toxicities associated with tamoxifen have prevented the drug from being embraced, but the lead author of this study said that now clinicians may have another treatment option. Two authors disclosed relationships with AstraZeneca and Eli Lilly. Discoveries in microRNAs are providing further insight into understanding possible targets and resistant mechanisms and leading to potentially more effective cancer treatments. MicroRNAs have been studied as potential prognostic biomarkers in colorectal cancers, but their value based on patients' race or ethnicity has not been examined. In one study presented at the conference, researchers evaluated a panel of five microRNAs in 104 African-American subjects and 114 white subjects. The researchers found that all five were overexpressed in colorectal cancers compared to control tissue. In addition, increased expression of micro R106A was associated with poorer survival among blacks and whites. Increased expression of micro R181B and micro R203 were each significantly associated with poorer survival in blacks but not in whites. 
The study's lead author said that long-term implications of this research is in the direction of individualized medicine, where microRNA levels could be used as a minimally invasive screening method in the future. In another study that has the potential to further individualized medicine, investigators at MD Anderson's Cancer Center show that overexpression of microR21 and reduced phosphatase and tensin homolog expression in breast cancer cells increases resistance to the drug trastuzumab. A third study looked at the role of microRNAs in melanoma. Researchers at the New York University School of Medicine and their colleagues evaluated the role of specific microRNAs in vitro and in vivo in the signaling of melanoma brain metastases in mice, finding that some microRNAs increase the ability of melanoma cells to metastasize and adhere to brain cells, while other microRNAs assisting in the transport of cells across the blood-brain barrier. Several studies investigated breast cancer risk and breast density. In one, researchers evaluated over 20,000 women over the age of 35 enrolled in the Mayo Clinic's Mammography Health Study in order to evaluate whether breast cancer risk changes as breast density changes over time. The women had undergone mammograms between 2003 and 2006 and had not been diagnosed with breast cancer. From this group, researchers selected participants who had at least one additional screening mammography prior to enrollment and then looked at clinic and tumor registries to determine whether any of these women developed breast cancer and whether breast density measurements had changed after enrolling in the study. Over a six-year period, women who had a decrease in at least one category of breast density had a 28% lower risk of developing breast cancer than those whose breast density did not change. However, women who had an increase in one or more density categories had suggestion of increased risk. In addition, a case control study conducted within the Women's Health Initiative revealed that mammographic density changes may be a useful intermediate marker to explain the increased breast cancer risk among postmenopausal women using estrogen and progestin therapy. And dual-energy X-ray absorbitometry to measure breast density was found to be a potentially effective low-radiation option for women who do not undergo mammography because of concerns about radiation exposure. Researchers at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle reported that epidermal growth factor receptor levels may be elevated in women within 17 months prior to breast cancer diagnosis. Researchers evaluated 420 estrogen receptor-positive breast cancer patients whose blood was drawn within 17 months prior to their cancer diagnosis. In addition, promising biomarkers, including EGFR, were validated in an independent set of 198 cases and controls from the Women's Health Initiative database. Levels of EGFR were found to be significantly elevated in women who developed breast cancer compared to controls. Those with the highest levels had a nearly threefold increased risk of developing breast cancer compared with women with the lowest levels. A study conducted by the National Cancer Institute and Columbia University linked an increase in body mass index in midlife to a substantially increased postmenopausal risk of breast cancer. Researchers evaluated data on over 72,000 women over the age of 55, including over 3,600 cases of postmenopausal breast cancer. Among women who had never used menopausal hormone therapy, BMI gain before and after age 50 was associated with increased postmenopausal breast cancer risk. Between the age of 20 and age at study entry, BMI gain of 5 kilograms was associated with an almost doubled postmenopausal breast cancer risk. The researchers write that with respect to postmenopausal breast cancer, healthy weight maintenance throughout adulthood is important, and weight gain from age 20 to 50 may play a particularly important role in increasing risk. 
Also, according to results from two studies, secondhand smoke, high consumption of red or fried meat, and certain genetic variants are associated with increased risk of bladder cancer. Bladder cancer patients who were lifelong non-smokers were compared with non-smoking controls. Those whose mother smoked more than 10 pack years had a 3.5-fold increased risk of bladder cancer compared to non-smokers who had never been exposed to secondhand smoke. In addition, sharing an office environment with co-workers who smoked was associated with a two-fold elevated risk of bladder cancer. However, researchers found that CYP1A2 and NAT2 acetylation phenotypes exerted a moderating modifying effect on the association between secondhand smoke and bladder cancer. Investigators also evaluated patients with confirmed bladder cancer and healthy controls to determine the link between meat consumption, cooking methods, genetic predisposition, and bladder cancer risk. Higher consumption of beef, pork chops, bacon, fried chicken, and fried fish, and medium-well or well-done meats were each found to be associated with an increased risk of bladder cancer. Bladder cancer risk associated with high consumption of red meat was most significant among individuals with a high number of unfavorable genotypes in the heterocyclic amine metabolic pathways. Data was presented at the meeting linking obesity and weight gain with increased risk of prostate cancer recurrence after prostatectomy. While another study showed that obesity and smoking are associated with increased risk of dying from prostate cancer after diagnosis. The first study included over 1,300 men with clinically localized prostate cancer who had undergone prostatectomy between 1993 and 2006. The researchers found that weight gain and obesity contributed to the risk of prostate cancer recurrence after prostatectomy, especially in sedentary or inactive men. Compared to men whose BMI did not change, men whose BMI increased one kilogram between the five years before prostatectomy and one year after had double the risk of recurrence. In the second study, investigators evaluated pre-diagnostic smoking and BMI information on over 27,000 men diagnosed with prostate cancer between 1982 and 2009. 882 men died during the study, 11% from prostate cancer. Researchers determined the risk of mortality increased by 52% for each five-point increase in BMI. Current smokers had a 55% increase in mortality from prostate cancer compared to those who never smoked. Elevated C-peptide blood levels were also associated with a higher risk of mortality. Researchers at the National Cancer Institute announced that a standard type 2 diabetes treatment may inhibit the growth of lung cancer in smokers. In this study, mice were exposed to nicotine-derived nitrosamine, a tobacco carcinogen and promoter of lung tumorigenesis, and then treated them with the diabetes drug metformin for 13 weeks. Researchers found that metformin decreased tumor burden in the mice by 40 to 50 percent and was well tolerated. They also demonstrated that metformin inhibited mammalian target of rampamycin, which promotes lung tumor growth by decreasing levels of circulating insulin and insulin-like growth factor 1. This effect was greater when metformin was administered daily by injection, which reduced tumor burden by 72 percent. The authors concluded that this data supports clinical testing of metformin as a chemopreventive agent. Statins do not appear to prevent colorectal cancer in high-risk individuals and may actually increase the risk of colorectal adenomas. This is according to a secondary analysis of clinical trial data on the COX-2 painkiller, celecoxib. In the original trial, researchers randomized 2,000 adenoma patients to either celecoxib or placebo in order to assess whether the drug could be used to prevent colon cancer. About 36% of participants in the study were also using statins. 
Researchers found that over a five-year period, patients in the placebo group who used statins had no benefit in tumor growth compared with those who had never used statins. In patients who had used statins for over three years, the risk of developing recurrent colorectal adenomas increased over five years. For all patients treated with celecoxib, colorectal adenoma detection rates were equivalent for those who had used statins and those who didn't. In addition, serious cardiovascular adverse events were more common among statin users. The authors concluded they found no evidence that statins protect against colorectal neoplasms and that long-term statin use may even increase the risk of developing colorectal adenomas. They say they interpret the data with caution due to the observational nature of the study. Data was presented on a novel application of the Prostate Health Index and DNA content measures as potentially effective predictors of prostate cancer progression. Researchers evaluated 71 men enrolled in the Johns Hopkins Hospital Active Surveillance Program using a new application of the Prostate Health Index and DNA content measurements performed by image analysis. The Prostate Health Index, or PHI, incorporates pro-PSA, free PSA, and total PSA. The researchers found that the level of PHI was higher in men who were determined to have unfavorable biopsies, defined as an increase in grade or tumor volume. In addition, the DNA content in the biopsy mass from the prostate gland adjacent to the cancer area and the area itself were effective predictors of a change to an unfavorable biopsy. A study co-author said in a statement, the findings were slightly surprising. Serum pro-PSA level by itself was not able to predict unfavorable biopsy conversion. However, PHI was significant for predicting unfavorable biopsy conversion. The PHI was developed by Beckman Coulter, Incorporated. Finally, researchers at the Ponce School of Medicine in Puerto Rico presented a study suggesting that multivitamin and calcium supplements may reduce the risk of breast cancer. In their study involving 268 women with breast cancer and 457 healthy controls, investigators found vitamin supplements reduced the risk of breast cancer by 30% and calcium supplements reduced the risk by 40%. Calcium intake and vitamin intake were both strongly associated with higher levels of DNA repair capacity. However, controlling for the level of DNA repair capacity, they found that calcium's protective effect was reduced, but the association between vitamin supplements and breast cancer reduction remained. Thank you for listening to conference coverage from the American Association for Cancer Research's 101st Annual Meeting in Washington, D.C., April 17th through the 21st. Conference coverage is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD, and powered by Health Day.